cold and wet today, but it's good to see you all here. May the Lord bless you and give you His grace as you draw near to worship Him. And if you're joining us via live stream, we're glad to have you with us as well. Uh, just one quick uh, calendar date that I wanted to put you on notice for. It's kind of a little bit of ways away, but if you'd like to plan ahead and mark your calendars, on May 21st, we will have a, a church-wide, uh, I guess, a, a lunch-slash-baby shower for, uh, for Travis and Brooke, um, especially if you don't know that they are expecting, but, so they are expecting, uh, but uh, we will have that on May 21st. I'll, send, I'll have another reminder or two between now and then. I just wanted to make sure you had that on your calendars um, for that date, May 21st. Well, the Lord uh, has told us in his word that we are to draw near and to worship the Lord Jesus Christ for what he has done for us. There are many of Psalms, many of the Psalms uh, uh, intend to uh, compel us to draw near before the Lord and to worship him. Jesus Christ died in accordance with the scriptures, and he rose again in accordance with the scriptures, and it's the, those same scriptures that, uh, that compel us and command us to worship him, but we don't just want to worship him because uh, we are commanded to, but we want to worship him because of what Christ has done for us, and giving us life, and giving us salvation, and giving us many of the blessings that we have through faith in him. And so let us turn our attention to the Lord this morning, let us turn our, 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 our hearts, our minds, and even our voices to, uh, to give thoughts and give attention, to declare our voices in the great glory of Jesus Christ and worshiping him for who he is and what he has done for us. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship. Um, and with that, I'll, I want to share a, a psalm. <clears throat> Word of God says, But I will sing of your strength. I will sing aloud of your steadfast love in the morning. For you have been to me a fortress and a refuge in the day of my distress. O oh, my strength, I will sing praises to you, for you, O oh God, are my fortress, the God who shows me steadfast love. Uh, and yes, he is, indeed. So let's just, uh, let's, uh, let's worship him this morning. Amen. of our God and King, lift up your voice and with us sing, oh praise Him, Alleluia, thou burning sun with golden
Continue worship all the way. My Savior leads me. And all the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt His tender mercy who through life has been my guide? And heavenly peace, divinest comfort, here by faith in Him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things Shame from the rock before me, oh 
Savior leads me. Oh, the fullness of His love, perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, glowing mortal, wings its flights to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus sent me all the As long as 
gather with the saints, with your church on a Sunday morning and together be able to sing songs of praise, God, that magnify your name, that magnify the cross. Words of praise, God, that come out of joy for the salvation, for the work that you have done in each and every one of us. God, what a privilege and what a joy it is, Father, to gather with the saints and do just that for your glory. Father, what an amazing grace as we just sang. What an amazing grace that we, that we can be together And worship you, Father, in, in a way, God, that, that honors you. Lord, may you, may you open our, our eyes, God, to receive and understand in our hearts, Father, to, to understand your word today. Sure, yes, we will be under your word, Father, and I, I pray, God, that you may speak to us through your word, but also through these songs that we just sang, God. May we be reminded of your attributes, of who you are, what you have done for us. You're worthy of our praise, worthy of our time, God. May we continue in worship this morning. May we be glorified, God. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Church, you may be seated. At this time, we'll be uh, dismissing our children to their classrooms as well. I'm going to read for us uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And then we'll pray. For all the promises of God find their yes in Him. That is why it is through Him that we utter our amen to God for His glory. Amen. Let us go to the Lord and let us pray to the God who keeps promises. Father, You are the God who, who makes promises and that you are also faithful to keep your promises. When it comes to your promises, it's not a matter of if, but when. 
And we're thankful, Lord, that your precious promises for your saints are written for us in your word. Lord, because we can be such a forgetful people, and then we, and we need these constant reminders of your precious promises. Some of these promises, though, we have, though many of us have read the scriptures many times, in our reading of the scriptures, there may have been times where we have not even realized some of the promises that are there in the scriptures, promises that are waiting for us to pray, promises that are waiting for us to, to grab hold of. Lord, and you have written each and every one of those promises so that we might know who you are, so that we might trust in you, so that we might put our hope in the God who is always faithful to his people. And Father, we, in, in our waiting, in, in prayer, Father, we can oftentimes Oftentimes could get so hopeless and we we give up and we fail to to wait a little longer. You ask us, you command us to, to seek and to find and to knock. The promise that you will answer and that you will open. But sometimes, Lord, we get so impatient. And so, Father, we pray and we ask, Lord, we, we humbly acknowledge that we, that we oftentimes we sin in our impatience. Lord, that because you do not work things out in our timetable, Lord, but we know that according to your scriptures, that your promises are always yes. Though it is not always in the time that we desire. Lord, forgive us for our impatience. Forgive us for those times when we fail to, to have faith and to trust that you do come through and that you do deliver all those who put their hope and trust in you. Lord, would you help us to be that much more patient, that you would help us to endure a little longer. Lord, would you help us to continue to put our trust in these promises that you have given unto us. Lord, we pray that you would encourage those in our church who could use an extra measure of encouragement, who could use some more strength, who are perhaps in a season where they are finding it difficult to wait and to wait and to wait as they continue to pray, as they're tempted to, to forsake prayer and to give up. Lord, would you even remind them this morning that you are a God who is faithful, a God who listens to the prayers of his saints. 
and that you are a God that has promised to never leave or forsake his people. Lord, we pray for our sister Jean, and we pray, God, for just a for good results and good outcome, Lord, and these tests tomorrow. Lord, would you encourage her and strengthen her in her faith, that you would do the same for her family. Lord, reminder that all of our hope rests in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that you are the God who has promised to be with her even in this season. Lord, we pray for, for Brenda as she goes into surgery. Just in a couple days from now, we pray, Father, that you might sustain her, Lord, that you would calm any anxiety that she might have. Help her, Lord, to rest in the God who who loves her dearly. Lord, we pray for Travis and Brooke. Lord, that they might have a restful time in their vacation this week. Lord, help them as they strive and endeavor to always put Christ first. We pray for Brooke's brothers. We pray for Brent and Wesley. Lord, would you bring them to saving faith in Jesus Christ? Father, we pray that you might help them, Lord, to be diligent in your word, God, that they have a growing appetite to read your word and to study it. Lord, we pray for their baby, that you would care for this precious life, that you would continue to grow this baby in her womb. Lord, and we pray for Rochelle, and we pray, God, for for her mind's capacity to understand the word and for a growing capacity in our heart to receive the word. Would you help her, Lord, to steward well her responsibilities and leadership roles as well? Father, we pray for the breaks and their continuing ministry at UNH. Father, we pray for a great movement of your spirit on this campus, drawing on believers to sitting faith in Christ. Lord, would you help and bless their efforts, Lord, as they continue to share the gospel, as they continue to equip and disciple students. Lord, bless them in their work, provide for their every need. Lord, protect their home, protect their marriage, give them wisdom as they raise their children in the fear and instruction of the Lord. Father, we pray for a great revival in New England. We pray that the hearts of many would be turned to faith in Jesus Christ. We pray that you would mobilize and encourage and embolden your church to continue to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, help us as your church, as your people, that you might grant your servants boldness to go and evangelize the lost. Help us to proclaim the hope of the gospel and the blessings of Jesus Christ. God, we pray for our country. We pray specifically, Lord, for for children, that their hearts and minds, that they might be protected, Lord, from harmful ideologies, Lord. The things that are taught in social media, in the internet, in school, Lord, Lord, would you protect these precious lives from these false ideas that they can change their very identity, that they can change even their gender, Lord. 
Father, where are we? It just seems to be this full frontal assault from the enemy upon children and upon families to sever the relationship between parents and children. Lord, and if we even see it in the schools, Father, we pray for the silencing of such voices, of such influencers in our culture. And that these precious kids, their lives would be protected, their hearts and minds would be protected. And lastly, Lord, we pray for those in our church who work in the areas of engineering. Lord, we pray that you would bless the work of their hands and their minds. We pray, Father, that you would help them to work heartily unto the Lord, that you would give them favor in the workplace, that you would give them the mind to understand and to solve the complexities of their work. Father, we we trust you for all of these things. Lord, what a joy it is to pray unto the God of promise, to the God who listens to the prayers of his people. Lord, we, so we come knocking, we come asking, and pleading, Lord, that doors might be opened and the answers might be given from above. And with that, Lord, we also pray this morning the prayer that you have taught us to pray in the Scriptures. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you would, please turn with me to the book of Acts. We're in Acts chapter 3. Acts chapter 3, verses 17 to 26 this morning. Last week we looked at the healing of the lame man who was begging at the temple, which then turned into Peter's sermon. We looked at the first half of that sermon, and now we're looking at the second half of that sermon, and then next week we'll sort of we'll see well, what happens after the preaching of the gospel. Acts chapter 3, verse 17. Again, this is Peter speaking to the crowds who just witnessed the miracle. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. 
And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, would you help us by the power of your Spirit to turn ourselves, our hearts, our minds to your word this morning. Lord, turn my own heart to what your word says. May our eyes be fixed on Jesus Christ, who is the great subject of Peter's sermon this morning. Lord, I pray and hope that Jesus might also be the great subject of this morning's sermon. Would you dictate my words? Would you control every heart and mind and open eyes to see the glory of Christ? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Promises and even prayers before the Lord can take any amount of time to come to fruition. Sometimes they can be like an almond tree that has a tendency to, to blossom and produce pretty quickly in season, right? And when that happens, right, we rejoice, we're glad, especially when we make those prayers or, or we are holding on to those promises that we need at a timely hour, and it just come right, right when we need it. But there are other trees, like the mulberry trees, for example, that take much longer to blossom and to produce. And sometimes the promises of God are like the mulberry tree that take time and time and time to actually come to fruition. And so what are we to do when the mulberry tree of the promises of God take time to blossom? Well, what we can and should do is simply to continue to wait and to wait and to wait. Peter, now, here in this passage, in the second half of his sermon, he seems to be grounding what he says here on Old Testament Scripture, specifically on the promises of God. And there's one particular promise that he grounds the events that have happened prior to this and the event that's just happened with the lame man being healed, grounding all of these things in the promises of God. So as we consider this second half of Peter's sermon, consider what he first draws the crowd's attention to, which is firstly God's design and eschatological blessings. Again, verse 17, Brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, so that he may send the Christ appointed for you. Jesus, whom heaven must receive, unto the time for restoring all the things that God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. So he begins by saying here in the second section that he's 
to these individuals that he's this crowd, these people, these Israelites he's speaking to, they says that he acted in ignorance. They acted in ignorance, which is quite strange because if you remember from last week, he made it pretty clear that they bear some personal guilt. Right earlier, in the first half of his sermon, speaking to the crowds pretty boldly and said that this servant, that is Jesus, glorified servant of the Lord, that you delivered him over and that you denied in the presence of Pilate when Pilate sought to release Jesus and that you denied the Holy and Righteous One and instead would rather have a murderer in exchange for the Holy and Righteous One and that you then crucified and killed the author of life. Right, you, 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 he says. And now he says, you acted in ignorance. And it's not actually so strange. Right? Some of you might remember what Jesus said when he was hanging on the cross and how he prays for his enemies. Right? What does he say? God forgive them, for they know not what they do. Again, quite strange, because they did have some knowledge of what they were doing. Right? They were handing Jesus over and they were crying out for his crucifixion, and yet Jesus prays for his enemies. Or consider the Apostle Paul. Even in his own example, in 1 Timothy 1.13, the Apostle Paul writes, though formerly, when he was Saul the persecutor of God's people, I was a blasphemer, persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. Even Paul himself says he acted ignorantly. Jesus has this category for his crucifiers acting in ignorance. So does Peter. And yet, just because one is ignorant doesn't mean that they go scot-free. doesn't mean that they are absolved of all sin and guilt. Ezekiel 45 verse 20 says, You shall do the same on the seventh day of the month for anyone who has sinned through error or ignorance so you shall make atonement for the temple. In other words, even for somebody who committed a sin in ignorance, some atonement needed to be made in order to receive any kind of forgiveness for their sins. Ignorance does not remove personal guilt. Peter's understanding here, when he says ignorance, and I think it's the same idea that Jesus was talking about when he prayed for his enemies on the cross is an ignorance of God's design. In ignorance, they crucified God's anointed, and it was that very ignorance that was designed by God for the purpose of the crucifixion. So in effect, what Peter is saying, well, it is because of your ignorance you now carry the guilt of crucifying the Lord. God designed that the release of your guilt would come through the servant that you crucified in ignorance. So to be that as it may, there's an ignorance, and yet you carry the guilt of crucifying the Lord Jesus Christ. Peter then goes on to call them to action. He says, repent and turn. Essentially saying the same thing, but although repent and turn communicates sort of two sides of the same action, right? Repenting in the scriptures intended, it's, it, the root meaning is to change one's mind. Now when I'm talking about like changing one's mind sort of flippantly, like, well, I, 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 I like this, but I changed my mind and now I like this. 
But the changing of one's mind requires the entire being of the person. So when the Scriptures call for repentance, they call a changing of the entire person. They were once this way, but now they have been changed into this way, leading to a completely different lifestyle than they once adhered to before. Repent and turn is the imperative of the sermon. And even this turning communicates the same thing, but in a different light, if that makes sense. In Matthew 13, after Jesus gives to the crowds the parable of the, of the seeds sown along different paths, disciples ask, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus, quoting Scripture, says, For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed. This is, you see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn, and I would heal them. In other words, Jesus says that he speaks to the crowds in parables as a form of judgment. It's not so much that God or that the Lord is hardening their own heart, it's the fact that they have already hardened their hearts towards the Lord. And Jesus speaks to the crowds in parables as a way to veil their eyes from seeing the person of Jesus Christ and turning to him in faith because they have already closed their own hearts to the person of Christ. Otherwise, right, they would turn and they would be healed. But this is the very action that Peter is calling on the crowds to take, repent and turn, because to turn activates the listening of the ear to receive the words of Christ. To turn activates the opening of the eyes to see the glory of Christ. To turn activates the illumination of the understanding to be able to comprehend the identity of Jesus Christ. And to turn activates the readiness of the heart to receive and love the person of Christ. Very similar to repentance, turning requires the entire person. Right? It is difficult to walk straight if your head is fixed in a different direction, isn't it? Naturally, right, if I'm trying to walk straight and my eyes are fixed somewhere else, naturally my, my body is going to go in the direction where my face is facing. And so it requires a whole person. You can't sort of have your body turned to the Lord and your eyes looking elsewhere. But this repentance, this turning, requires the engagement of the entire person focused on the person of Jesus Christ. Take the example of the Israelites as they were wandering through the wilderness. Right, they were rescued from slavery in Egypt, called to follow the Lord through the wilderness, which they did physically. But where were their hearts turned? You can see it in their grumbling and their complaining that they still longed to be back in Egypt. Right, so in a similar way, this turning in repentance is a calling on the person to turn their entire being to the person of Jesus Christ. With the result, Peter continues, with the result that your sins may be blotted out. Now, Peter's not here advocating for doing penance. 
repentance and turning back certainly include faith, believing in Jesus for one's salvation. But faith is never apart from repentance for a turning to the Lord. Only when one repents and turns to the Lord will their sins be blotted out. And the idea here, actually, is the idea of, of ancient papyrus. When they used to write with ink on the papyrus, it wouldn't actually quickly absorb into, into the document. But instead, the, the ink would actually settle for some time. And so it was like if, if, if an ancient writer made a mistake, they could easily just wipe away the ink it will not leave any trace at all on the papyrus. Right? It's not like what I think are useless, erasable pens. Right? When you take the pen and you try to erase it with the eraser that it comes with, like you, you can still see the ink. You can still see the markings of it. But it's not the idea that it has in mind here. When the blotting out, this removal of the ink actually leaves no trace. You cannot tell what was written before. And so it's the same way when it comes to blotting out of one's sins, when turning to the Lord and turning to Christ as one's, self, as one's Savior, that one's sins are completely obliterated. It means that your sins and my sins, there's no trace of them anymore. What was once written in God's book has been completely erased. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Sins be blotted out. He says, so that times of refreshing may come. And the idea here is, I think, like wandering through the desert and receiving the nourishment of water, rejuvenation, refreshment that comes to finally getting a sip of water. In other words, Peter is saying that if you repent and turn to the Lord, you will be participants in the messianic blessings. If you remember from weeks ago, when we first looked at the pouring out of the Spirit during Pentecost and the preaching of the Gospel, it's all intended to communicate that this is now the Messianic age. Christ is reigning as King at the right hand of God, and He has poured out His Spirit and creating His church. The church is part of the Messianic blessings. And so in the same way, if one turns to the Lord, they also will be participants the blessings of Christ and that these blessings serve to reinforce the urgent plea to turn to Christ for salvation. So after focusing on or pointing to God's design, secondly, then the sermon turns to prophetic foretelling and consequences. Verse 22 now he's quoting scripture. Moses said, The Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days, You are sons of the prophets. Now the covenant that God made with your father, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So here is when he is grounding, not just his words, but he's grounding 
everything that has happened thus far in the Old Testament, he's grounding them in things that God had already said long before. And he quotes what Moses says, that a prophet, this is Moses speaking to the people of God at his time, saying, a prophet like me will come from among your brothers, and him you shall listen to. And Peter is saying that Jesus, the servant of the Lord, the Son of God, is that prophet that Moses had prophesied about. That he is just like Moses and function and as an intermediary and function as, his, as being the one who speaks the words of God just as Moses spoke the word of God to the people. And as a prophet would oftentimes call the people of God to repentance, Jesus carried that same function. Moses was an intermediary as well. Right? There were times when Moses stood in the gap and interceded on behalf of God's people, when they were wayward and backsliding and turning to their own sins. But we also know from the Gospels that Jesus is not only a prophet like Moses, but Jesus is even greater than Moses. Because while Moses was a prophet who audibly received the word of God to to which he then proclaimed to the people, of God, Jesus was the actual word of God. So that every mouth that Jesus spoke was understood to be the very words of God. And Jesus was certainly a much better intermediary between God and his people because he was crucified as a way of bridging the gap that sin has created. Jesus took that sin and the punishment of our sins and reconciled us to the Lord. Hebrews also tells us in what way Jesus is a greater prophet than Moses. It says in Hebrews 3, 5, Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later. But Christ is faithful over God's house, not as a servant, but as a son. Then the sermon goes on to warn them of the consequences. It says that you shall be destroyed from the people. To those who would have heard those words, Peter's audience, they would have understood exactly what that meant. To be destroyed from one's community is to be excommunicated from one's community is to be cast out of the camp for the Israelites. It is a fate worse than death to be driven out of the community because the covenant community, God's covenant community, even though we believe God is omnipresent and God is everywhere present as they would have, but the focus of his blessings would have been particularized on one, on one specific people, and that were the Israelites. And so for them... To be driven out of the community would be to be driven out of, in a way, the presence of God and to be handed over to the realm of the world or what they have, I would have understood it to be as the, world, the, the, the realm of the enemy or the realm of the devil. So he says this is the consequences. 
He's again quoting Scripture. He's quoting specifically Leviticus 23. And in that context, Leviticus 23, it is warning the people of God about denying the atonement. And so to deny the atonement is to deny the mercy that's been available to you. To deny the atonement is to forsake the grace that is accessible to you. To deny the atonement is to, is to disregard the forgiveness of one's sins. And it's like being out in the middle of the ocean, swimming and paddling, struggling to keep yourself afloat. And a boat finally comes by and throws you a lifesaver intending to rescue you. You just toss that thing aside. He warns about the dangers of denying the atonement. It is a cost, costly choice. He says, you are sons of the prophets. Now the covenants that God made with your fathers. In other words, what he's saying to them is, this is not a new religion we're putting before you. We're not asking you to, to, to worship a different God. We're not asking you to worship two different gods. But the God that we worship is the same God who sent his servant, his son, into the world. And he says that if, you are to believe, if you're going to believe in him, you must believe in his son. If you're going to worship God, you must worship his son. And in your offspring, he says, quoting another passage of scripture, shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He's quoting the original promise made to Abraham. And he's saying, that if you want to be a part of the family of God, heirs of this promise, then you must believe in his son. Right? If anyone would want to believe or be a part of the covenant community of God and not be cast out into the world, which the scriptures warn the world will perish and all the enemies of God will be given over to his eternal wrath if you want to spare yourself of that, then be a part of the covenant community. Turn and repent of your sins and turn to Jesus Christ. Because the heirs of the blessing is not those who are, particular, who are of a particular bloodline, but they are those who are joined to Jesus Christ by faith. The book of Galatians essentially is sort of an, an explanation or an exposition on that one word offspring that we read here in this passage. And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. In Galatians 3.16, the Apostle Paul says, Now the promises were made to Abraham and to his offspring. It does not say to and to offsprings, referring to many, but referring to one and to your offspring, who is Christ. So in other words, the original promise that God made to Abraham, that in his offspring all the families of the earth will be blessed, that offspring is intended to be Jesus Christ. That Jesus is the means of blessing for the world. That the reason why you and I 
are considered blessed by the Lord is because of Jesus Christ and our faith in him. And he concludes his sermon by pointing to, thirdly, present enjoyment of eschatological blessings or last time or end time blessings. In other words, the blessings that come to all those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that's coming towards the climatic conclusion of all history to which God is driving all things towards, that some of those things we get to participate in even today in this present moment. Verse 26, God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Wickedness, kind of a strange choice of words because these are the people, sort of the people of God. The ones who would be zealous to fulfill the law of God, who would, uh, who would observe every festival, every feast. So it's kind of quite shocking that Peter would address his crowds, the Israelites, and say, you're wicked. And they are so because they have yet to turn and repent to God's glorified servant, his son, Jesus Christ. And yet we also see the intent of God in the passage here in verse 26. And this intent is to bless you, he says, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. This is God's intent. For those who have yet to believe in Christ, to turn them from their wickedness so that they might in turn be blessed. And this blessing comes from being the true Israel the true inheritors of Abraham's promise through Jesus Christ. Romans 2.28, the Apostle Paul says, For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. In other words, the true Israelite is one who is so by faith in Jesus Christ. Where you come from, who your parents were, what you've done in life does not matter. You become a child of the living God through faith in Jesus Christ. And as sons and daughters of God, right, that we can participate in the blessings of Jesus Christ, even as we wait for the glorious outcome that God has prepared for those who love him, there are blessings that we can participate in today. And speaking to that glorious outcome, there are many passages in Scripture that point to that wonderful outcome. And this, is, and this is intended to fill us with hope. This is intended to give us the strength to continue to persevere and endure and run the race until we finally see that glorious Eden. One example of what this, this is, what this picture looks like, of this outcome, is in Isaiah 11. And 1 through 9, I don't want to read the entire passage to you, but in this, in this description of what this heavenly Eden will look like, it says that in this place, in this Eden, the wolf shall dwell with the lamb, 
and the leper shall lie down with a young goat, and the calf and the lion and the fattened calf together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, their young shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the cobra, and the weaned child shall put his hand on the adder's den. They shall not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain, for the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. It's hard to picture, isn't it? The wolf dwelling with the lamb without one devouring the other. That a child can play with a cobra and not get bitten. That a child, in a way, can have a leopard as a pet. Isn't that nice incentive to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ? Although you shouldn't believe the gospel just because of that, for sure. But it speaks about a place of absolute peace. And how is this possible? Because the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord. As the waters cover the sea. And it's passages like this. And it is the hope that Peter points his audience to that reinforces the plea to repent. Why should anyone turn from the sins and repent and turn their their life to Jesus Christ? Because of the great blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as believers, we get to participate in some of those blessings now. We participate in those blessings as we pray to the Lord and God and His divine sovereignty and care for us answers our prayers we participate in those blessings when we rejoice with another believer who has his prayers or her prayers answered by the Lord. We rejoice and participate in those blessings today when God's people come together such as a day like this to glorify and honor and worship Christ for who he is and what he has done for us. We participate in some of those blessings today when we serve and encourage and strengthen each other's hands in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Present blessings serve to, ap- to, to, to whet our appetites for future blessings. The blessings that you and I receive today, in our lives today, are just appetizers for the great meal that awaits us at the very end that God has reserved for all those who love his Son. So then, considering Peter's sermon, what are some things, some things for us to consider, things to take with us? One thing in particular is, as we consider what, consider Peter's sermon considering all the parts and how they come together. One thing for us to consider is is that we are evangelists of the blessings of Christ. God calls his church to go and proclaim the gospel of the blessings of following Jesus Christ. Notice the sequence of Peter's sermon. First, he begins with personal guilt. You have sinned. You have committed error. You are liable to the judgment of God. 
And then, secondly, he turns to personal action. You ought to therefore repent and turn to Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, he turns to the consequences. What are the consequences if one fails to repent and turn to the Lord? He's not shy about those consequences. You have no place in the community of Christ. But he also does not avoid the fourth thing in proclaiming, and that is the blessings of turning to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And neither should we. And this is what essentially the gospel entails. When we share the gospel with anyone, right? they must know that there is a personal guilt that they carry because of their sins and because their sins are an offense to the Lord. And so therefore they ought to turn to Christ in faith and repentance. And they ought to be warned of the consequences of one's failure to believe in Jesus. But let us also not neglect in proclaiming the great blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It is these blessings that should reinforce our plea to turn or to ask people to turn to Christ in faith. Matthew eleven twenty eight. Jesus says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Everyone carries the burden of sin and guilt. And Jesus calls all men everywhere, come to me. Take the sin and the guilt that you carry away from your shoulders and place them on myself, Jesus says, and you will find rest for your souls. This is what we're officially calling people to, to find the rest in Jesus Christ. Place your burdens at the cross. And you will receive the blessings of his grace and mercy. And certainly this is the Apostle Paul, or rather Peter, preaching to the crowds. And certainly the apostles were commissioned by God to go and proclaim the gospel everywhere to all men. But it is not a responsibility only given to the apostles, but it is a responsibility. It is a commission given to Christ's church to grow, to go and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as it was not a commission given specifically to the apostles, the boldness that they certainly needed and required and prayed for was not just unique to them, but it is a boldness that God graciously gives to his church when they pray and ask. And certainly it is not always easy to share the gospel with people, and that is why we pray for boldness. That's what we ask for boldness. And how could God not be faithful in answering that request? Because the Lord would want nothing more than more people to come and worship his son. Right, so let us pray for that boldness so that we might also go and turn and proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, just as Peter preached this gospel from beginning to end. One thing more I want to leave you with. As we consider how Peter 
anchors these events and even his sermon in Scripture, Old Testament Scripture, Old Testament prophecies, Old Testament promises. And certainly from their timeline, from our timeline as well, sometimes it seems like, it feels like the promises of God take a long time to come to fruition. It feels like we're waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and we're wondering, when is the waiting going to cease? But the promises of God in coming into fulfillment, it's not a matter of if, but when. The question is, are you willing to wait long enough? And there are plenty upon plenty of promises of God in the scriptures. Promise of rest, promise of peace for those who are anxious, promise of strength for those who feel faint-hearted and weak. Romans 15, verse 13 a wonderful prayer here. It says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How do you abound in hope? The prayer is that you may be filled with joy and peace. Joy, that is, that comes from being saved. Joy of having your sins forgiven through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And peace, where does this peace come from? Peace from having reconciliation with God. From being adopted as sons and daughters of God. And sometimes we just need a reminder that we have this joy and peace that comes from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I'm here to remind you that you have that joy and peace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember that you have that hope or that joy and peace, and you even pray that you might be filled with more and joy of that peace, the prayer here is that as you are being filled with joy and peace while believing and trusting in the God who makes promises to his people, that you may they in turn abound in hope, overflowing with hope. So that at any point, right, if you're ever asking yourself, Man, how do I pray for myself? how do I pray for this person? Like, what do I pray for? Right, God certainly has given us, according to Romans 9, God has given us, or Romans 8 rather, God has given us his spirits to intercede for us with groanings too deep for words. And that we don't always know how to pray for as we ought, but the spirit intercedes for us. So there's that encouragement that even when we do not know how to pray, the spirit knows how to pray exactly as we need for us. But in addition to the Spirit of God, we also have the written Word of God. And in the written Word of God, there are many wonderful prayers for us to pray so that even if you come to a point where you have no idea what to pray or how to pray, just go to the Scriptures. Pray Romans 15, 13. And you can, you have access those promises and when you feel like the flame of your hope is growing dimmer and dimmer even to near being extinct or extinguished remember that you have the God of hope he is the God of hope God owns a wonderful wonderful bank and that is the bank of his hope always available to you, always accessible to you 24-7, no matter where you are. 
and we need not fear that this bank will go bankrupt because of poor management or will ever run out of money because it's not dependent on anyone's money. God's bank is unique in that it doesn't ever accept deposits. It only accepts withdrawals. And you can withdraw from the bank as many times as you need it and it's never going to run out. And the scriptures are there to remind you that you have this God of hope on your side. That if you're even in the season where you are just waiting and waiting, praying the same things over and over again and waiting, God, I am trusting in your promises. God, I need I need you to come through. I need your strength. I need this in this very hour. When will you come through? It's not a matter of if, but when. And if you need that extra boost of encouragement to help you to continue to trust in the Lord, an extra measure of hope, remember that you have the God of hope. And you need only to pray to him, contemplate the glorious gospel, and as you do, be filled with the joy and the peace that comes from the gospel. And let the gospel ruminating, contemplating, meditating, thinking, even praying about the gospel, let it, by the power of the Holy Spirit, fill you with the hope that you need in the moment that you need it most. As we consider that God is a God who makes promises and that all of his promises have their fulfillment in Jesus Christ, by way of response, we're going to take communion together. So if you haven't done so yet, you're free to take a moment and make your way to the back. In the back table, there's communion cups. The Lord Jesus, in accordance with the Scriptures, died for our sins. And the Lord Jesus, in accordance with the Scriptures, rose again from the dead. As I we read earlier, all the promises of God find their yes in him. The scriptures are truthful. The scriptures are accurate. The scriptures are helpful for us, for life and godliness. The scriptures contain within them all the hope that we need. So my encouragement to you this morning as we take communion is that as we take this meal that you might be reminded of the God who has made wonderful promises for your life. And yes, they might take time to come to fruition. And some of the promises will not come into fruition until we see the Lord Jesus Christ face to face. But let this meal be a reminder to you that the precious promises of God are secured for you in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That in this meal, the Lord has embedded in it this wonderful reminder to us that he will never leave us or forsake us. How could he when he gave up his own son for us all? How will he not, as Romans says, really give us all things that we need for life and godliness in this life as we walk about through the Egypt of this world waiting to reach the heavenly Eden that awaits us. This meal is a reminder to you that your God has not left you or forsake you, forsaken you. 
So if you are here as a brother or sister in Christ, if you believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you have turned away from sin, and your life is characterized by repentance, turning to the Lord, not perfect righteousness, but a constant turning to Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you have received baptism as one of the first signs of faith and repentance and identification with Jesus Christ, then you are welcome to take this meal as a brother or sister in Christ. But if you have yet to believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the scriptures make clear that you are outside of that Christ-centered community, you still belong to the world. The scriptures are also clear that the world is perishing along with everything that's in it. And so we just, we would ask that you do not deny the atonement, do not deny the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, do not deny the mercy and the grace and the forgiveness of sins that is available to you even this very morning. Turn to Christ. Repent of your sins. Call out to Jesus as Savior. And you will be made a part of his community. And you will be able to take part in today in the blessings of Jesus Christ. I want to take this in the same way that we did it in Easter, if you remember and you were here for that. I want to take the bread and I want for you to remember that this is, not actually is, but this represents the body of Christ that is broken for you. As we take the cup, I want you to be reminded that this represents the blood of Christ shed for the forgiveness of your sins. Before we do that, let us take a moment to silently reflect, consider the gospel, reflect on the gospel, Take the time to confess your sins before the Lord and trust in his forgiveness. So we're going to take, take the bread, and I'm going to declare to you that this is the body of Christ bruised for you, and I want you to stay and turn the body of Christ bruised for me, or broken for me, rather. So brothers and sisters, the body of Jesus Christ broken for you, the body of Christ broken for me. In the same way with the cup. I'm going to tell you, I'm going to declare to you that this is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for you, and I want you to in turn 
to say confidently that this is the blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Brothers and sisters, this is the blood of Jesus shed for you. The blood of Jesus Christ shed for me. Let us pray. Jesus, we, we honor you. We thank you. We glorify you for what you have done for us on the cross. Lord, it will take a lifetime for us to truly comprehend the magnitude of what you have done for us. Lord, would you increase our heart's capacity and our mind's capacity to comprehend what you have done for us. Lord, that we would not cease to be amazed by this glorious sacrifice that you have made on our behalf. Lord, that we would never tire of praising you for giving your very life for us. Lord, would you also help us to proclaim this glorious gospel with humility and with boldness, Lord, help us, equip us, use us to be evangelists of the blessings of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Lord, and we pray specifically, Lord, for those who need their hope strengthened. Lord, encourage them this morning. Help your dear saints. Remind them of the precious promises that are contained for them in the sacred scriptures. Bless your people. Give strength. Give grace. Revitalize those who need it. Help them to withdraw hope from the bank that never runs out. We trust you for these things. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Church, let's stand and worship in response of today's word. May we be encouraged as we sing, as we sing the song. Amen.
those last two lines one more time till he returns or calls me home here in the power of Christ I'll stand God as we sing those last few lines of the song God I, I, I pray that that we may be reminded of today's word. God, thank you for thank you for your word as it reveals as it reveals to us your promises and your faithfulness to your people. 
Thank you, God, for blessing us with your son, our faithful servant, Jesus. Father, lead us as we pray and repent of our sinful ways and turn to the gospel where we where we have prepared blessings by you, Lord. And where you provide us eternal enjoyment of our salvation in Christ. God, may we find rest for our souls in you, O oh Father, and create in us the boldness to be a church of prayer. A church of prayer as we as we share in the hope and the joy and the peace that we can only find in Jesus. Lord, I pray all these things in Jesus' name and for your glory. Amen. Amen. Word of God says, The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his son, saying, Thus you shall bless the people of Israel. The word of God says, You shall say to them, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Church, God bless you. You're dismissed. Thank you.